Hi, it's Pastor Woods up here in, in Sun Valley, Arizona, and I hope that things are going well for you today. It's been a hot month. My goodness, I, I it's not nearly so bad here as it's been down in Phoenix, but certainly wants to have make you want to live uh, a good life dedicated to Jesus Christ so that you don't end up in eternity. It'll be even hotter there. And uh, I would just tell you that make sure that you know the Lord. I'd also invite you, if you are free tomorrow and don't go to another church, come to the First Baptist Church here in Holbrook. I'll be speaking. I'm in a series on Elijah. Tomorrow we're going to talk about how God used Elijah to send the fire down and burn up the sacrifice. And that's exciting. And I would invite you to come. That service starts at 11 o'clock. And then tomorrow evening is the citywide inspiration there at, at the Baptist Church. Well, I want to talk today about the high priest who hated Jesus. It's kind of weird to think that anybody could hate Jesus after all he has done for us. But in Proverbs 29, 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the, peop the people groan. You know, there's a lot of groaning going on in our country today and actually in our world today. The Bible says God puts into authority those he selects to rule. And we know that God will either give us what we need or what we deserve. Seems like we're getting a lot of what we deserve right now because we've crowded God out of our nation. Throughout the Bible, God used government to reward or punish his people depending on their obedience to him or the rebellion against him. It's time the United States of America repents and comes back to God while we still have time. Today I want to consider a wicked ruler of the people and the consequences he reaped by his actions. For a while, he thought he was in control, enjoying such luscious power. But the day arrived when he realized there is a much higher power that he'd have to give an accounting to. In fact, the Bible says the day will come when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, you've probably guessed I'm referring to Annas, the high priest, the religious superman in the time of Jesus Christ. Old Annas thought that he had it all put together. He had everything that his old heart desired. He had power and wealth and fame and prestige. He was like many politicians in the deep swamp today, or like a mafia boss or a cartel drug lord today. Annas represented everything Jesus Christ came to destroy. Annas was the power that ran Jerusalem. He held the highest position of his nation. He was the big guy of Jerusalem, and what he said went. Annas was the religious and political superman of the Jewish people. He was the power behind the politics. He was the power behind the economy. He lived in Jerusalem where the center of power was for Israel and the temple was there in Jerusalem. He'd been able to bribe, connive, lie, and cheat his uh, influence to become high priest. The Jews didn't want him there, but Rome did. He was appointed to the high priesthood about A.D. 6 by Quirinius, governor of Syria. He was deposed in A.D. 15, but don't worry, he lost no power when that happened. Annas had his fingers in all the social pies of the society. 
His hand grasped the most luscious political plums. His scheming mind carefully planned every evil course taken by the religious elite in Jesus' day. Annas was the man who inspired and ordered Jesus to be harassed and embarrassed in front of the multitudes trying to, uh, you know, defame Jesus Christ. His plans usually failed. Jesus would win the debates, and, and people loved these intellectual exchanges. They thought it was hilarious when these uh, known people who were scholarly would come up against Jesus Christ, and Christ would just put them down so easy. Annas was dethroned as a religious leader when he overstepped his bounds with Rome once too often, but actually... That really didn't discourage Annas because he still run his little empire. He was replaced by another man whom Rome appointed, but Annas would not be set aside that easily or quickly because there was so much money, power, and prestige in the office of high priest, and he wanted it all, and he would have it all. The high priest was the most powerful Jew in the land, and Annas intended to keep that power and all the perks that came with it. Uh, the person that was appointed as the high priest didn't last long, Annas saw to that. While he was still high priest, Annas took steps to ensure his position of power. He set up his political fences with care and shrewdness. He put his henchmen in all the key positions until he controlled the Jewish religious life. He feathered his nest by gathering the religious taxes. He knew that someday he'd probably overstep his authority and make somebody mad, but he also knew he'd never lose his power if he played his cards right. When the day came that he stepped down as high priest, he, he, but he never did release his power that he had gained while he was high priest. The new high priest lasted less than a year, and when he was ousted from his position, Annas maneuvered his oldest son into the position of high priest. Annas was still in full control. In fact, Annas was able to put five of his sons in this key position. They served their daddy like puppets on a string. When his fifth son was finally removed from office, he opened the position up for his son-in-law, Joseph Caiaphas, Caiaphas of the Bible. For 16 years after losing his office, Annas controlled the position of high priest. The people saw him as the actual high priest because they realized what power, what wonderful power that he was enjoying. Probably the first time Annas heard of Jesus was when Jesus was 12 years old. Jesus had gone to the temple and amazed the temple priests with his wisdom and understanding of the scriptures. We read in Luke 2, 41 to 52, Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. 
All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be about my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Undoubtedly, Annas was informed of this child prodigy. Nothing more was heard about this carpenter's son, Jesus, for a long time after that. One day, a rugged, loud-mouthed, uncivilized, uncouth fellow named John, uh, he was called John the Baptist, began preaching in the wilderness, denouncing the corruptness and unrighteousness of the Jewish people and their religious leaders. Annas hated what John the Baptist was saying. Who did this long hair, loud mouth, unkept, smelly man in animal skins think he was to go against the establishment? He was criticizing Anna's little empire. He was calling it corrupt. He was stirring people against all that Annas and his crowd stood for. Annas was the power behind the high priest's throne. He would do something about this. His word was law. His schemes were commands. His plans called for actions. Annas would settle things with his loud mouth, and John the Baptist would know he'd tangled with Annas. The ultimate insult came the day Annas listened to John ranting and raving and hoping to catch John in some legal or religious mistake so he could arrest him. That was the day that Jesus suddenly showed up. John immediately began proclaiming that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, the Son of God. Then John baptized Jesus. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John, but John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said, so why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly beloved Son, who brings me great joy. Well, having heard John's challenging message calling men to repentance, the people were ready to accept Jesus for whom he said he was, the Son of God. Annas didn't know how John and Jesus pulled that dove and voice thing off, but he did know that his authority as head of the religious world was under attack. He would have to stop this right now before it got out of hand. The day Annas actually masterminded Jesus' death was when Christ tore into his plans for turning the temple into his private money mart. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. 
Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove them out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus drove the money changers and sellers, the buyers, and all the animals from the temple. This was too much. Annas thought, Man, he's gone too far this time. Annas' greedy heart couldn't take any more. Jesus was going to die for that. He would see to it. Annas was like most people in our society. If you really want to hurt them, hit them in their pocketbook. Annas had heard many of Jesus' sermons, and he saw his miracles. He might have wondered secretly if Jesus really was the Son of God like he claimed. But his wealth and power had gotten such a grip on him that even God would have to step down for him. You know, that's a shame because... He, didn't, he, he was putting his trust in something that was temporary, not in the eternal God. There was no room for God or love for anyone else in this earthly kingdom that Annas had built. To Annas, self was the most important God. Self was all he had room for. And, and like I heard, a man all wrapped up in himself makes a pretty small package. He put the machinery in motion that would eventually take this man who called himself God, take him to the cross, crucify him. That's what he deserved. The hands that crucified Jesus might have belonged to Caiaphas, Pilate, Herod, the Romans, and others, but it was Annas backing those hands that nailed Jesus to the cross. The mob would cry, crucify him, crucify him. But behind the bloodthirsty voices, you'd find Annas pushing and adding fuel to the excitement until finally the decision was made to nail Jesus to the tree. The hammer strokes might have been those of the soldiers, but it was Annas who actually held the hammer. What music it was to his ears to hear those strikes and to rid himself of this fly that was in his ointment. What torment his memories must be now as he is marinating in hell. Annas wanted it <clears throat> to seem that he was a minor role in the hideous death, but he masterminded it all. He had so much power after that after Jesus' arrest, they brought Jesus to him first after, instead of taking him to Caiaphas, the actual high priest. John 18, 12, 12 through 24, so the soldiers their commanding officer and the temple guards arrested Jesus and tied him up. First they took him to Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest at that time. Caiaphas was the one who had told the other Jewish leaders, it's better that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus and did another disciple. and That other disciple was acquainted with the high priest, so he was allowed to enter the high priest's courtyard with Jesus. Peter had to stay outside the gates. Then the disciple who knew the high priest spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of the man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants had the uh, and guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. 
Inside, the high priest began asking Jesus about his followers and what he had been teaching them. Jesus replied, Everyone knows what I teach. I have preached regularly in the synagogue and the temple where the people gather. I have not spoken in secret. Why are you asking me this question? And those who heard me, they know what I said. Then one of the temple guards standing nearby slapped Jesus across the face. Is that the way to answer the high priest? He demanded. Jesus replied, If I said anything wrong, you must prove it. But if I'm speaking the truth, why are you beating me? And Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas, the high priest. Annas didn't want it to appear that he had planned this arrest, so asked, asked Jesus questions about his doctrines and his teachings. Jesus saw right through him. Jesus answered, I've taught openly. Annas laughed gleefully when a soldier slapped Jesus in the mouth for his disrespect to the high priest. Annas finally sent Jesus to Caiaphas. Then Caiaphas sent him to Pilate. Then they sent him to Herod and back to Pilate and finally to the cross. Annas signed Christ's death warrant as much as any man did. Poor Pilate was caught as a pawn in the huge game of power. Annas was there when cowardly Judas brought the 30 measly pieces of silver back to the temple. The 30 pieces of silver was what you would pay for a slave, and he sold his Savior for that. All the priests laughed at the misery that scumbag was going through. Satan always laughs at us when sin has run its course. He promises anything, but he never fulfills anything but destruction and death. Annas thought that he'd won. This intruder into the religious world would not threaten his kingdom anymore. Oh, the sweet taste of power and revenge that Annas enjoyed that day. Three days later, reports came that Jesus Christ was not dead but alive. The tomb was empty. Annas would not, could not stand for that. He manufactured the report that Jesus' disciple had stolen the body and he bribed the soldiers to lie. That was over 2,000 years ago. The pride and godless ambition of Annas took him to hell. For 2,000 years, he's been tormented with what he did to Jesus Christ. You're probably thinking, what a wicked man. It serves him right to be in hell. But wait, before you pass judgment on Annas for being so wicked, look inside your own life. Can you blame him if you're putting yourself and your plans ahead of God? Aren't you as guilty as he was when you crowd Jesus out of your life? If Annas could do it over again, I imagine he would do everything differently. I imagine that he would want to accept Christ immediately. He'd be more open to God. He'd pray more and search the scriptures more. He'd think less of himself and more of God. Put down your foolish pride and egotism which won't mean a thing in hell. Annas would serve God in any way he could if he could get back on the earth right now. He'd be more loving and kinder to others. He would never stir up trouble with his tongue. If he had it to do over again, he would not end up in hell. I mean, he wouldn't. I believe the current politicians that are running roughshod over America today will someday have the same regrets unless they turn to Jesus Christ. My thought is that I can't reach them, but I can warn you. Learn a lesson. 
at any cost. Don't you go to hell. God has provided a way for you to escape that, what Annas is hopelessly facing for all eternity. Dear Jesus, please help us to learn to put things in proper perspective, to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, that all these other things can be added unto us. Lord, help us not to go the route of Annas or any of the people that have rejected Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that each one listening to my voice would make up their mind. They want to repent of their sins if they haven't already. They want to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They want the assurance their sins are forgiven, and they want to know that they have an eternal home in heaven with you. Please, God, work in our lives. Help us to be the people you want us to be. And, Lord, we've got relatives and friends and neighbors that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to spread your gospel and see people come to know you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Listen, if you want to get a hold of me, remember my post office box number is Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. My uh, telephone number is 623-845-2741. That can be used either for a text or a phone call. And then the uh, email address, and by the way, I try to monitor the email, but sometimes I'm just over swamped with it. But it's lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. I'm praying for you. And I hope that you'll find all that God has for you. I would invite you again. Go to church tomorrow. And if you're in the area of Holbrook, come to church where I'm preaching. And I'll just uh, bless the Lord because you came. God bless you. Talk to you later. I hope you have a, a wonderful week as you serve God. I hope he can use you to reach other people for Jesus Christ.